Funding for Here and Now Anytime comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. Hi, this is Here and Now Anytime, where we give you a little news, a little something you weren't expecting, and always a fresh, in-depth perspective on current events, arts and culture, and stories that matter. Subscribe or follow to get all our episodes out every weekday. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend about us to help spread the word. Now here's the show. I think we have to acknowledge reality. The public is done with masking. If you're not going to wear an N95 respirator, most of the other uh, kinds of masks that you have, the surgical masks, the, the cloth masks, are really very ineffective. What you need to know about the latest wave of COVID. It's Friday, January 5th, and this is Here and Now Anytime from NPR and WBUR Boston. I'm Chris Bentley. Today on the show, Iowa, January 6th, and the contours of the presidential election shaping up for later this year. Also, move over Smokey Bear. Some people say it's time for a new Forest Service mascot. One of the most successful public service announcements in history is turning 80 years old. But there's a campaign underway to come up with an alternative message for fire safety and an alternative messenger. So we have Torchy the Thule Elk, we have Flame the Fox, um, we have Cinder the Coyote and a couple of others. And what we're doing right now is we really want to get the public's help in voting for a good fire mascot. More about that cast of characters in about 15 minutes. But first you probably know someone who has COVID right now, or who has had it in the past few weeks. Maybe you know a lot of people who've had it. We're in the midst of another wave of cases coinciding with the holidays and the emergence of a new variant. So we called up Dr. Michael Osterholm for an update. He's the director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota. And here's his conversation with Scott Tong. This variant JN1 quickly has become the dominant strain in this country. And globally, it's surging too, according to the World Health Organization. How dangerous is it? Well, it's very clear that there's a lot of transmission of the virus uh, throughout the world right now. Uh, We've pretty much dismantled our system for collecting case data or information on people who test positive. So the next best thing we can do is say, well, our personal experience is we all know a lot of people who are infected right now. More specifically, though, if we look at severe illnesses and look at hospitalizations, there uh, it is good news in the sense that while we're uh, seeing about 30,000 new hospital admissions each week for it, mm. that's way below what it was a year ago at about 40,000 or two years ago at the same time at 61,000. Now, that still means, however, though, that we're losing almost 200 people a day in this country who are dying from it. So it's still a challenge, but fortunately not what we have seen in the previous three to four years. Yeah. So I do want to ask you about practical steps people can take. Uh, You mentioned uh, being updated with vaccines, which could help with this variant. How about testing? A lot of people now get something, get some symptoms and think, you know, it it may not be COVID. It may be a cold. Do you suggest people uh, test perhaps more often than before? 
Yeah, the, the challenge we have with testing is that, first of all, just finding tests today is a difficult situation. And although you can still get free tests from um, the U.S. government, um, sometimes it's been a challenge to get them. Number two is the fact that you can actually be symptomatic and potentially infectious before you actually turn test positive. And that may be only several days, but in fact, if I'm now going to a family event tonight and I wanna test myself, uh, surely that's a good thing to do, but it's not a guarantee that you are not infected and potentially infectious. So mm -hmm. I still urge that people, particularly when they're going into settings where they themselves may be the risk factor for somebody who's older, who has immune compromised, picking up the virus from me, I don't want that to happen, so I still do test. I think the other thing just to continue to recommend is get this uh, new dose of vaccine. If you haven't gotten it yet, get it. It can surely have a big impact on protecting you against serious illness, hospitalizations, and deaths. Yeah. And what about masking? Oh, my goodness, uh, walking around, most people seem to have given up uh, on masking. Yeah. What do you suggest? Well, using high-quality masking, the N95 respirator tightly fitted to your face still is a very important tool that can protect me from getting infected if I wear it or if I wear it and I'm infected from me transmitting it to others. But I think we have to uh, acknowledge reality. The public is done with masking. Um, you know, it's a rare sight today to see anybody who has on yeah. N95 respirator. Um, I would say if you're not going to wear an N95 respirator, uh, then, you know, most of the other uh, kinds of masks that you have, the surgical masks, uh, the cloth masks, are really very ineffective in stopping the virus from being transmitted by you or you getting infected while wearing the mask. And so, to me, it's, it's like fixing three of the five screen doors out of your submarine, you know, with that kind of masking. Yeah. So I, I would definitely do it if I was at high risk today for serious illness um, and I were going to be in a public setting. Yes, I strongly urge you consider using your N95 respirator. Yeah. And remind us uh, what we should do if we test positive. The CDC uh, still says to isolate, stay away from people for five days. Is that right? Well, it is. And unfortunately, that's a residual uh, recommendation from the days of Omicron uh, back in 2022. CDC took the recommendation from 10 days to five days, but there was a caveat that said you should be wearing an N95 respirator then for the other five days if you're well enough to work and can work. That just got shortened in the convenience of many people's minds to say just five days. Mm -hmm. But in fact, from studies we have conducted, we can show that about 70% of people are still infectious between day five and day 10. And so to be cautious, say, you know, really 10 days is the period. And if you're able to get up and out and about at five days, please at least wear an N95 respirator. Dr. Michael Osterholm directs the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota. Dr. Osterholm, uh, thanks as always. Uh, thank you. Great to be with you again. Coming up next, Scott and Peter O'Dowd convene our first politics roundtable of this election year with some updates on the Republicans campaigning in Iowa and what it heralds for the rest of the year. Stick around. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor Carvana. With thousands of options under $20,000, plus customizable financing terms and down payments as low as $0 down, it's easy to find a car that fits your lifestyle. Visit Carvana.com or download the app today. Terms and conditions may apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mattress Firm. Do you get the quality sleep you need? Mattress Firm will find you the right bed for your best rest with their wide selection of quality mattresses at every price. Get matched at Mattress Firm's Memorial Day Sale. Sleep at night. Tomorrow is the third anniversary of the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol. What happened that day has become one of the defining issues of this year's presidential campaign. President Biden will argue in a speech today that former President Trump remains a threat to democracy for trying to overturn the election results three years ago. Meanwhile, Trump campaigns in Iowa today. He still calls January 6th a beautiful day and says that Biden is the threat to democracy for the Justice Department's effort to prosecute him for his role in that insurrection. Our Friday Politics Roundtable joins us. Sahil Kapoor is senior national political reporter for NBC News. Sahil, welcome back. Hey, great to be back. And Isaac Arnsdorf is national political reporter for The Washington Post. His forthcoming book is Finish What We Started, about the MAGA movement since January 6th. Isaac, welcome to you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Let's start, uh, Isaac, by talking about President Biden and what his strategy will be today. He's going to speak near Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, where, of course, George Washington and his army spent an awfully tough winter in 1777 during the Revolutionary War. What do you expect? Yes, and the weather uh, strikes again. The speech was supposed to be tomorrow on the actual (laughs) anniversary, uh, but they had to move it up. Biden, um, you know, the campaign just put up its first ad this year, quoting from a speech that Biden gave last September in Arizona, um, talking about the uh, Trump and the MAGA movement and um, what they're what what he was calling uh, the their extremism and the threat that the ongoing threat they're posing to democracy, um, and so they're really setting. We we expect to hear uh, more along those lines today, and the Biden campaign is really setting this up to be their framing of the campaign uh, in a rematch with Trump, uh, as it looks like it's going to be, uh, and that would be a choice. Uh, they're saying, between democracy and authoritarianism, uh, between freedom and repression. Uh, And the Democrats uh, used that message, they think, very effectively in last year's midterms uh, to a surprising result um, where they really outperformed expectations. Mm. And the Biden campaign is betting that when that's the choice that you put in front of voters, uh, they're going to choose democracy. In fact, we have some sound from that ad. Let's listen. I believe in free and fair elections and the right to vote fairly and have your vote counted. Now, something dangerous happened in America. There's an extremist movement that does not share the basic beliefs in our democracy. Saw Hill, what do you think? Is it a risk uh, or an advantage for Biden to push that message when Trump himself has actually gained strength with Republicans over his uh, January 6th related indictments? 
Well, it's certainly an advantage on net for President Biden to use the issue of democracy uh, because it does appeal to a lot of voters. It uh, fires up the Democratic base and it appeals to a lot of swing voters, especially former Republicans who have drifted away from the party in the wake of Trump's rise. And we saw, and I think the, the Biden campaign cites this all the time as a proof point, the 2022 midterms as uh, an example of how focusing on that issue can be helpful. There are a lot of nominally Republican voters who would have supported uh, you know, GOP candidates in a normal midterm year where uh, Democrats had the White House but were too turned off by what they perceived as extremism within the Republican Party. And our recent NBC poll showed that among single-issue voters, uh, and this was a November 2023 poll, among single-issue voters protecting democracy or constitutional rights uh, was the number one issue, just ahead of mm. abortion even. So there's no doubt that this is an advantage for uh for Biden and for mm. Democrats, especially because in the 2022 exit polls, we found that uh, 68% of the country thinks uh, democracy is not secure, that it's threatened, and those voters prefer Democrats by a larger margin um, and than the, the smaller group of people who believe that it's secure did, who supported Republicans. So let's say it's an advantage, but it's certainly not enough because young voters in particular, black voters, Hispanic voters, progressive voters, they want to hear more from Biden. The democracy yeah. message mm -hmm. is likely... Uh, unlikely to be sufficient for them. They want to see an agenda, a vision, something uh, to kind of uh, believe that the next four years will be better if, in order to vote for him. President Trump still calls January 6th a beautiful day, uh, but a member of the far-right Proud Boys was sentenced this week to 10 years in prison for assaulting three police officers January 6th. And he told the court, if I could go back in time, I would change many things about that horrible day. So three years later, is there more or less concern that an effort to overturn an election could happen again? Well, there's certainly no remorse from Donald Trump about that day. He has leaned further and further into what happened. He has defended a lot of the people who marched uh, and who, who rioted, frankly, on, on that day, in part because he continues to insist that the election was stolen from him, uh, which we know isn't true. Uh, there's no evidence for that, and the courts have thrown out his many, many claims to you know to to that effect. But Trump has leaned further into this. It's become uh, it's become a way for him to rally his staunchest supporters. And there is a slice of the country somewhere between you know thirty and uh, and the high thirties uh, of a percent of the country who who believes him that mm -hmm. the election of the of twenty twenty was somehow tainted. So this is a base mm -hmm. play for him. It does not appeal to swing voters. It does not appeal to a majority of the country. But it, it seems like this is the this is the uh, one of the issues that he expects to ride to the the Republican nomination with which he's which he's currently in a dominant position to win mm -hmm. for twenty twenty four. Yeah, and and Isaac, uh, I I mean your book. Uh, has you following MAGA voters since January 6th. Uh, tell us about the title, Finished What We Started. What does that mean in the context of this election 2024? Well, it's it's a comes from a Trump speech, and it's the the way that he is framing the campaign um, explicitly as the word he uses is retribution. This idea that uh, the the election and the presidency was stolen from them, um, and uh, they need to take it back and uh, and finish all the thing. Uh, well, punish the the people who first of all the the people who who they say took it away, and also then. Uh, complete the the process of transforming the country that began with Trump's 2016 campaign and his first presidency. Uh, and the you know listening to to Sahil the the Washington Post released poll results this week um, where we went back and asked the same questions that we did two years ago about January 6th. Um, and what was striking was how much 
Republicans have split off from the rest of the country. You know, the rest of the country, mm. when you ask them, what was January 6th mostly violent? Was the election legitimate? Um, was Trump responsible? Democrats and independents haven't really changed that much, but there has been this huge shift among Republicans where those beliefs have intensified, uh, even to the point that a third of Republicans said that they believed that uh, it was uh, definite or probable that the FBI instigated January 6th, wow. which we know is not what happened. That's certainly not what happened. Um, uh, Isaac, does that seem high to you? I mean, after all this reporting that you've done? Well, it, it's a different... Uh, there's also been a lot of reporting uh, uh, in right-wing media. Um, Tucker Carlson was a was a very prominent um, mouthpiece for this and, uh, and promoting... Um, pro-Trump writers who have been uh, who have been circulating allegations that went on to be validated by members of Congress and eventually Trump himself. Um, and you know there's if you look back to the, how isolated Trump was within the Republican Party uh, when he left office, um, you know for him to get back to the dominant polling position that he's in would need would require those, those attitudes toward January 6th to shift as well. You know, that, that yeah. really goes hand in hand uh, in terms of the party coming back to Trump and the party accepting and normalizing and minimizing the attack on the Capitol. Well, and let's, uh, speaking of the polls, let's, let's talk about Trump's Republican rivals as we are just 10 days away now from the Iowa caucuses. Here's uh, Ron DeSantis on a CNN town hall last night. The Democrats want Trump to be the candidate. They are going to talk about all the legal stuff. January 6th, that will be what the election will be about. You don't want it to be a referendum on Trump and the past. You want it to be a referendum on Biden's failures. DeSantis and uh, Nikki Haley, uh, another rival, still don't really talk much about January 6th. Um, Sahil, why? Why is that? Well, because their voters believe Trump. They believe Donald Trump's false narrative that the election was stolen from him. And that's the very awkward kind of fine line that candidates like Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, DeSantis to a greater degree, are trying to walk in trying to win over that large section of the, the Republican Party base that, you know, may not be hardcore, you know, Trump supporters. They may be open to another candidate, but they certainly believe him uh, about January 6th. And for, for someone like Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis to beat him, they have to win over all the Republicans who don't accept Trump's uh, inaccurate narrative about January 6th and win some who do. And that's why you see some of them flailing. You know, there's no clear message that that they've been able to stick with. Not, none of them have, or neither of them have had meaningful success, other than you could say Nikki Haley lately in New Hampshire at peeling off a large share of Republicans away from Trump. Um, they've really struggled to settle on a message that resonates that pulls Republicans off Trump. And look, you can date this back, and I would trace this back to February 13th, 2021, the day the Senate acquitted Donald Trump in the January 6th uh, impeachment trial on incitement of insurrection. Mm. 43 Republicans decided uh, mm. that he should be exonerated. That was the moment the Republicans decided we're not making a break from Trump, and they've never been able to change their mind since. Isaac, uh, going into the Iowa caucuses, what are you watching for? Any possible surprise? Uh if Haley were to actually pull out a second place finish, um, that would really uh, increase her case for consolidating the opposition to Trump within the party going into New Hampshire. 
10 days away. Isaac Arnsdorf, national political reporter for The Washington Post, and Sahil Kapoor, senior national political reporter for NBC News. We appreciate you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take one more short break, but when we return... Only you can prevent forest and woods fires. If you've ever been to a national park or a forest, you probably know Smokey the Bear. Technically, Smokey Bear, not the. But either way, he's been a fixture of the U.S. Forest Service for decades. But some say it's high time to replace him with a new mascot whose message on fire safety better reflects the times. Peter has more after this. NPR's editorial independence and integrity is non-negotiable. It's the reason why so many listen to 1A's Friday News Roundup. You'll get analysis and insight from the world's best correspondents. Listen to 1A's Friday News Roundup, only from NPR. You care about what's happening in the world. Let State of the World from NPR keep you informed. Each day we transport you to a different point on the globe and introduce you to the people living world events. We don't just tell you world news, we take you there. And you can make this journey while you're doing the dishes or driving your car. State of the World podcast from NPR. Vital international stories every day. From the campaigns to the conventions, from now through Election Day and beyond, the NPR Politics Podcast has you covered. As Joe Biden and Donald Trump square off again, we bring you the latest news from the trail and dive deep into each candidate's goals for a second term. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast every weekday. The Bullseye Podcast is, according to one journalist, the, quote, kind of show people listen to in a more perfect world. So make your world more perfect. Every week, Bullseye puts the pop in culture, interviewing brilliant authors, musicians, actors, and novelists to keep you on your pop culture target. Listen to the Bullseye podcast, only from NPR and Maximum Fun. This year marks an important anniversary. Only you can prevent forest and woods fires. Smokey the Bear, Smokey the Bear. An old friend of the U.S. Forest Service, Smokey Bear, turns 80 years old. Smokey still cuts a fine figure in his blue jeans and rakish ranger's hat. And his premise that you can prevent wildfires is the longest-running public service announcement in American history. But our next guest says the old bear needs a makeover, one that captures a different view of fire and the role that it has in our future. Emily Schlickman is an assistant professor of landscape architecture and environmental design at the University of California, Davis, and she joins us now. Emily, welcome. Thank you for having me. And look at you, picking a fight with Smokey Bear. (laughs) Why? What's wrong with the idea that only you can prevent wildfires? I think um, we, my, my colleague Brett Milligan and I at UC Davis, we definitely agree that his message is still valid. We just wonder if Smokey could use a new friend to, to really support all of the efforts of, of good fire. 
And you and Brett have come up with a cast of new characters or new friends for Smokey as part of an exhibit that you're doing at the University of California, Davis. One of them is Bernie the Bobcat, who uh, I see is already on a billboard in California. Tell me about Bernie. Yeah, yeah. So so Brett and I have been working on, you know, this topic of, of wildfire for a few years now. And we, we recently put together a book called Designed by Fire. And with this work, we began thinking about how to get more public buy-in for good fire. And by good fire, I mean intentionally burning landscapes or simply letting them burn to maintain healthy ecosystems, to build wildfire resilience, and to support native cultural practices. And so in doing this, we thought by giving Smokey a new friend, perhaps that could be one way to get buy-in. But perhaps this new friend could light fires instead of fighting them. So we came up with, uh, we brainstormed a whole cast of what we call kind of pyrophilic characters who could promote good fire. And one example is, is Bernie, Bernie the Bobcat. Um, so bobcats like to prey on animals who are attracted to post-fire shrublands. So they mm. inherently benefit from fire. So with this information, we created Bernie. We dressed her up in prescribed fire gear, and we put her up on a billboard outside of Sacramento. Um, but we're also considering a host of other characters. So we have Torchy the Thule Elk. We have Flame the Fox. Um, we have Cinder the Coyote and a couple of others. And what we're doing right now is we really want to get the public's help in voting for a good fire mascot. And the hope is that over the next year, we can kind of refine the illustrations and the messaging and and expand the campaign. I'm chuckling here a little bit, but, uh, you know, on the other hand, you're striking at something that's pretty important here. This is a debate about how we manage fire on public lands, and it's a fundamental debate in the Western United States. Um, What do you hope will happen with whatever mascot, you know, you or the public lands on? What's really at stake here? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that we're hoping to get out of this is that people start understanding that we have agency in deciding what our future looks like with fire and and really getting people to to think about ways in which we can steward our landscapes to be better prepared in the face of of fire. Well, and what I think I'm hearing is that Smokey Bear's message that all fire is bad fire and you have to do everything you can to stop it has gotten us into some trouble over the years. And so you're trying to think of something different, a new way of approaching this. Yes, exactly. Um, So as a result of fire suppression, we have radically changed fire regimes across California. And in many areas, we're seeing a lot of fuel buildup, which is leading to more catastrophic wildfires that we're we're seeing today. That, on top of climate change, hotter, drier, windier conditions, and the fact that more people are moving to fire-prone locations is kind of exacerbating all of these risks. Mm. How does this hit you personally? I know you're you're, you're a professor, you're thinking about it academically, but I understand you're trained as a firefighter, you've gone out on prescribed burns. Uh, Of course, you live in California under all these worsening conditions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think as with most people living in California, you know, the last 10 years or so have been really, really challenging. But I'm now doing prescribed burns. So we burn basically every month um, in order to not only, you know, reduce wildfire risk and, and bolster healthy ecosystems, but also really importantly to 
to try to promote these indigenous practices across the state. All right. Emily Schlickman is an assistant professor of landscape architecture and environmental design at the University of California, Davis, also the curator of a new exhibit there about the future of fire. Emily, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Speaking of wildfires, more than five months after fires devastated Maui, protesters are camped out on the beach to demand Hawaii's governor do more for people who lost their homes. It's getting pretty hard. A lot of them are paying mortgages on ash and rubble. We'll hear from them, and we'll be putting some of their questions to Hawaii's governor. Make sure you subscribe to or follow Here and Now anytime, wherever you listen to podcasts, so you don't miss that episode coming up next week. That'll do it for us today. This show comes from the team behind Here and Now from NPR and WBUR Boston. Today's stories were produced by Julia Corcoran, Lynn Menegon, and Ashley Locke. Today's editors were Todd Munt and Micaela Rodriguez. Technical direction from Mike Moschetto and Patrick O'Connor. Mike Moschetto also wrote our theme music along with Max Liebman and me, Chris Bentley. Our digital producers are Allison Hagen and Grace Griffin. And the executive producer of Here and Now is Carly Watson. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and we'll be back with you on Monday. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Betterment. The emotional build of a will-they-won't-they love story is never chill, but your investing portfolio should be. Betterment is the investing app that lets you be totally chill about your finances. Their automated technology and tax-smart tools are easy to set up, so you can focus on navigating any will-they-won't-they love stories that come your way. Betterment. Be invested and totally chill. Learn more at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. This message comes from NPR sponsor Linda Mood Bell. Linda Mood Bell's summer instruction for reading, comprehension, and math can help students catch up or get ahead. Summer instruction is designed to help children feel more confident, prepared, and excited about learning and school in the fall. Linda Mood Bell's evidence-based approach is individualized for all types of students with challenges that affect learning, including dyslexia. Learn more at lindamoodbell.com NPR. On the TED Radio Hour, in the middle school cafeteria, Ty Tashiro always sat with his equally nerdy buddies. The socially awkward kids who were the furthest thing from cool. And he often wondered, why am I so socially awkward and what am I going to do about that? Now Ty is a psychologist and expert on awkwardness, and he has some answers. That's on the TED Radio Hour from NPR.